During his first five years in Maycomb, Atticus practiced economy more than anything. For several years thereafter, he invested his earnings in my brother's education. John Hale Finch was 10 years younger than my father and chose to study medicine at a time when cotton was not worth growing. But after getting Uncle Jack started, Atticus derived a reasonable income from the law. He liked Maycomb. He was Maycomb County born and bred. He knew his people. They knew him. And because of Simon Finch's industry, Atticus was related by blood or marriage to nearly every family in the town. Macon was an old town, but it was a tired old town when I first knew it. In rainy weather, the streets turned to red slop. Grass grew on the sidewalks. The courthouse sagged in the square. Somehow, it was hotter then. A black dog suffered on a summer's day. Bony mules hitched to hoover carts slicked flies in the sweltering shade of the live oaks on the square. Men's stiff collars wilted by nine in the morning. Ladies bathed before noon, after their three o'clock naps, and by nightfall were like soft tea cakes with frostings of sweat and sweet talcum. People moved slowly then. They ambled across the square, shuffled in and out of the stores around it, took their time about everything. The day was 24 hours long, but seemed longer. There was no hurry, for there was nowhere to go, nothing to buy, and no money to buy it with, nothing to see outside the boundaries of Macomb County. But it was a time of vague optimism for some people. Macomb County had recently been told that it had nothing to fear but fear itself. We lived on the main residential street in town. Atticus, Jim, and I, plus Calpurnia, our cook. Jim and I found our father satisfactory. He played with us, read to us, and treated us with courteous detachment. Calpurnia was something else again. She was all angles and bones. She was nearsighted. She squinted. Her hand was as wide as a bedside and twice as hard. She was always ordering me out of the kitchen, asking me why I couldn't behave as well as Jim when she knew he was older and calling me home when I wasn't ready to come. Our battles were epic and one-sided. Calpurnia always won, mainly because Atticus always took her side. She had been with us ever since Jim was born, and I had felt her tyrannical presence as long as I could remember. My mother died when I was two, so I never felt her absence. She was a Graham from Montgomery. Atticus met her when he was first elected to the state legislature. He was middle-aged then. She was 15 years his junior. Jem was the product of their first year of marriage. Four years later, I was born. And two years later, our mother died from a sudden heart attack. They said it ran in her family. I did not miss her, but I think Jem did. He remembered her clearly, and sometimes in the middle of a game, he would sigh at length, then go off and play by himself behind the car house. When he was like that, I knew better than to bother him. When I was almost six, and Jem was nearly ten, our summertime boundaries, within calling distance of Calpurnia, 
were Mrs. Henry Lafayette DeBose's house, two doors to the north of us, and the Radley place, three doors to the south. We were never tempted to break them. The Radley place was inhabited by an unknown entity, the mere description of whom was enough to make us behave for days on end. Mrs. DeBose was plain hell. That was the summer Dill came to us. Early one morning, as we were beginning our day's play in the backyard, Jim and I heard something next door in Miss Rachel Haverford's collar patch. We went to the wire fence to see if there was a puppy. Miss Rachel's rat terrier was expecting. Instead, we found someone sitting, looking at us. Sitting down, he wasn't much higher than the collars. We stared at him until he spoke. Hey. Hey, yourself said Jim pleasantly. I'm Charles Baker Harris, he said. I can read. So what, I said. I just thought you'd like to know I can read. You got anything needs reading? I can do it. How old are you? asked Jim. Four and a half. Going on seven. Shoot. No wonder then, said Jim, jerking his thumb at me. Scout yonder's been reading ever since she was born, and she ain't even started school yet. You look right puny for going on seven. I'm little, but I'm old, he said. Jim brushed his hair back to get a better look. Why don't you come over, Charles Baker Harris, he said. Lord, what a name. It's not any funnier than yours. Aunt Rachel says your name's Jeremy Atticus Finch. Jim scowled. I'm big enough to fit mine, he said. Your name's longer than you are. But it's a foot longer. Folks call me Dill, said Dill, struggling under the fence. Do better if you go over it instead of under it, I said. Where'd you come from? Dill was from Meridian, Mississippi, was spending the summer with his aunt, Miss Rachel, and would be spending every summer in Maycomb from now on. His family was from Maycomb County originally. His mother worked for a photographer in Meridian and had entered his picture in a beautiful child contest and won $5. She gave the money to Dill, who went to the picture show 20 times on it. Don't have any picture shows here except Jesus ones in the courthouse sometimes, said Jim. Ever see anything good? Dill had seen Dracula, a revelation that moved Jim to eye him with the beginning of respect. Tell it to us, he said. Dill was a curiosity. He wore linen shorts that buttoned to his shirt. His hair was snow white and stuck to his head like duck fluff. He was a year my senior, but I towered over him. As he told us the old tale, his blue eyes would lighten and darken. His laugh was sudden and happy. He habitually pulled at a cowlick in the center of his forehead. When Dill reduced Dracula to dust, and Jem said the show sounded better than the book, I asked Dill where his father was. You ain't said nothing about him. I haven't got one. Is he dead? No. Then if he's not dead, you have got one, haven't you? Dill blushed, and Jim told me to hush, but
a sure sign that Dill had been studied and found acceptable. Thereafter, the summer passed in routine contentment. Routine contentment was improving our treehouse that rested between giant twin chinaberry trees in the backyard, fussing, running through our list of dramas based on the works of Oliver Optic, Victor Appleton, and Edgar Rice Burroughs. In this matter, we were lucky to have Dill. He played the character parts formerly thrust upon me, the ape in Tarzan, Mr. Crabtree in the Rover Voice, Mr. Damon in Tom Swift. Thus, we came to know Dill as a pocket Merlin, whose head teemed with eccentric plans, strange longings, and quaint fancies. But by the end of August, our repertoire was vapid from countless reproductions. And it was then that Dill gave us the idea of making Boo Radley come out.